Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ammon Swenson. Today's program features a discussion on human trafficking in Alaska. Vulnerable populations like our homeless youth have been shown to be more susceptible to trafficking, but the issue is global and increasingly complex. The featured speaker is Tyson Wright, founder and director of the International Coalition for Prevention and Empowerment, a nonprofit focused on the prevention of human trafficking. He'll discuss the issue broadly, in addition to steps being made locally to combat the issue. After Wright speaks, we'll hear a panel of local professionals answering audience questions about various aspects of human trafficking and ways to push back against it. This program was presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council and was recorded at Beartooth Theater Pub on February 8th. Due to the nature of the subject matter, listener discretion is advised. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Lisa Eiler, and I'm the president and CEO of Alaska World Affairs Council, your host of today's program, uh, Breaking Chains, Addressing Human Trafficking in Alaska. Before we get started, I want to recognize some of the people that make these programs possible. Uh, our staff, Siobhan, right over here. Elizabeth, I think she's still in the front. We have several board members. If you could just raise your hand, I appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you for being here today. We are grateful to all of you. A few things about today. We have a tremendously diverse group of people today, as you can feel in this room. We have middle school, high school, college, community members, and members of many task forces here in the city and statewide. So all of you, welcome. So due to the sensitivity of the program, we ask that you do refrain from videoing. Please silence your phones now, if you would. And if you need to exit the program, we ask that you do so quietly. And most of all, be respectful and kind to our guest and our panelists today. Students, it's a privilege to have you, so thank you for being on your best behavior. We really appreciate it. We love having the students here. So today's distinguished speaker is Tyson Wright. Tyson will speak for approximately 25 minutes, and then we'll open the program to Q&A featuring local experts. Tyson Wright is the founder and director of International Coalition for Prevention and Empowerment a nonprofit focused on the prevention of human trafficking and exploitation through education, awareness, and empowerment. Tyson has been supporting the fight against human trafficking since 2014. He has worked with communities all around the world to develop targeted prevention programs to protect vulnerable individuals. Tyson has a degree in business management and nonprofit management and is currently working on degrees in criminal justice and sociology. He has certi certifications in trauma and resilience and human trafficking prevention and intervention. He's on the board of the Washington County Children's Justice Center and the Dove Center, a domestic violence shelter, and enjoys volunteering in his community. Please welcome Tyson Wright.
Well, thank you, Lisa, for, for having me, inviting me up, and uh, allowing me to be here today to present. And thank all of you for coming today, to show, for showing up. Sometimes that's the hardest part, uh, especially when we start to talk about the topics uh, like we're going to talk about today, is human trafficking. I, I'm thoroughly convinced that when we hear that, come and listen to human trafficking, we'll put anything at the top of the list in front of this, including our laundry and paying our taxes. This isn't a subject that we want to talk about. So thank you for showing up today, for being willing to come, listen, be a part of the conversation. hope that this is the beginning of moving forward, that this just isn't a moment but it's, it's uh, the beginning of a journey for each and every one of us because it's going to take all of us to combat, combat human trafficking. We're going to dive in that. But before we do, I need everyone to participate in an activity. I need everyone to do something really hard here. Fold your arms. Okay. Got your arms folded. Now, look down at your arms. Are you a right arm on top person or a left arm? How many of us are right arm on top? Okay, most, most, nothing against you left. How many are left? We'll let you raise your hand too. Okay, now do this. Fold your arms the other way. Put, yeah, take some thinking, doesn't it? It's hard. It's not easy. How do you feel? Weird, that's icky. It was hard. Today's conversation might feel like that. You might have moments as we talk today where you feel like, wait a minute, how do I do what this? And it feels maybe a little weird. That's okay. That's our body responding. That's emotion. Those are okay feelings. Recognize it. Be present. Process those feelings. As we talk today, though, if you have an experience of something that's triggering Maybe you know someone who's been in a situation similar to this. Maybe yourself. Maybe something's triggering. Pay attention to your emotions and make sure you're taking care of yourself as we talk today. There's a difference between a trigger and just an emotional response. It's okay to have emotional responses. It's okay just like folding your arms the other way. That's okay. But just be aware of how you're feeling today. A little bit about myself, most, most of this was said, but I've had the opportunity in supporting the fight against human trafficking for almost nine years in many different ways. In human trafficking, generally you're going to have three pillars of ways that organizations go about fighting human trafficking. It's supporting law enforcement in interventions, rescuing individuals, getting them out of trafficking situations, supporting survivors who have come out of trafficking situations in aftercare, many times it's called, or in the prevention. How do we stop individuals from going into a trafficking situation? And I've had the opportunity in supporting all of those. But over the last year or so, I started this nonprofit to focus on prevention. How do we stop the funnel of individuals coming into human trafficking? To me, that's become, for me, one of the most important places that we can disrupt the cycle of human trafficking. We're going to start off by talking about what is human trafficking, trying to understand it. A little bit about our organization. How we work is, first, we work by forming partnerships, working with individuals most of the time who invite us in to help. 
and support their efforts in wanting to fight human trafficking. We build partnerships with them. Then we identify a plan. We understand what trafficking looks like in the community because it looks different everywhere. We've been able to work on every continent here in, in, around the world, except for Antarctica. Haven't worked there yet. And uh, trafficking looks different, but there's commonalities. So we understand what it looks like, and then we develop a strategy to combating it in that community and take action. That's the main goal and how we go about that. But first, we have to understand what human trafficking looks like. So most of us have an understanding. We've, we've heard of human trafficking over the last few years. There's been a lot of awareness that's come to human trafficking in some way or another. It's not as taboo as it used to be. It's more common that we know. But to sum it up, generally, human trafficking is when an individual is forced into one of two things here in the United States, either labor or sex trafficking. Those are the two forms identified by law in most states in the United States are sex and labor trafficking. And the way that we go about doing that and understanding what that looks like we use what's called the AMP model. And it's important to understand the AMP model because it helps us understand trafficking. AMP is action, means, and purpose. So a trafficker will take one of the actions in this column. They'll recruit, they'll harbor, they'll transport, they'll solicit, they'll advertise an individual. And they'll use one of the means in the middle to go about doing that. They'll use force, fraud, or coercion to then manipulate that individual, force that individual either into a commercial sex act or into labor trafficking. Now, all three of these things have to be present for it to be human trafficking, except when it comes to children in sex trafficking. You don't have to prove the middle column, the fact that a child was, was forced or sold into a commercial sex act makes it human trafficking. So it's important to understand this, because sometimes there's misconceptions that we have in our head. For example, we look at the actions column, and for some reason, probably because it's called human trafficking, the transport we put in bold. Hollywood's done it for us. There's been many films made where we focus on individuals being taken away, kidnapped, abducted, locked up. That does happen. But the reality is, that's not the most common form of the way an individual gets brought into a trafficking situation. It's more common that fraud or coercion is used in those situations. And it's important to understand that. Because if we're just looking for the white van that's driving up and down the street thinking, if I avoid that, then myself or my loved ones will never be trafficked, that's not the reality. We have to be aware of what it really looks like. Globally, and the United States holds true to this statistic, 40% of all trafficking is familial trafficking, meaning the family member is the trafficker. A mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle is the trafficker, the one selling or forcing that individual. An additional 39% of the time, it's an intimate partner, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a fiancé of some sort. So nearly 80% of the time, it's someone that that survivor knows who's trafficking them. We need to be aware of those types of things so that we can best identify trafficking survivors in our community and have the best effort be the most effective in supporting those individuals as we move forward. 
Another important fact to understand is that here in the United States, according to the last report that came out from the AG's office, 85% of identified survivors were citizens of the United States, were domestically trafficked inside the United States. Sometimes we focus to areas like the border, and we say, if we can stop that, we'll stop trafficking. Most of the time, what's happening at our border is called human smuggling, not human trafficking. And most of the time, it's not where this crime is happening. It's happening in our communities, by family members and loved ones trafficking individuals in their own community. We need to be aware of that so that we can make the right efforts. If we're only focusing, say, on the borders, then we miss most of those individuals who are being trafficked inside of our communities. I want to come here to Alaska for a second and focus on a report that was just barely published by the Governor's Task Force. Many of you are here today, and thank you for coming. These are the numbers that they put, ran over it and added it up. And for their report that just came out last month, they they identified 731 individuals who were identified as trafficking survivors. Most of these individuals that came from this report were here in the Anchorage area. And I can tell you this, and I'm sure the task force would agree, that number is probably not representative of the actual numbers of individuals. In this crime, like so many others that are around abuse, they're so underreported and so underidentified. But there were 731 identified here by the, the, the task force in the community. I, was, I will say, of, of the many places that I worked, Alaska's exciting because of the efforts that are being done to fight human trafficking. There are some places where we go and we work, and it seems like the only group that's really doing something about it is the one group that we're working with. But here in Alaska, that's not the case. There's this task force that's working amazingly that are proposing legislation. I know there's many bills that are proposed at this very moment to increase the penalty and sentencing for individuals who do trafficking, who are the patrons of trafficking, to increase prevention efforts here in Alaska, to increase uh, and, and make this task force permanent. It's amazing to see the efforts that are being done here locally in your community, recognizing the issues that are here and doing something about it. One of the places that we have to touch on as we talk about human trafficking is online. We have to understand the risk that exists in an online space. I do want to point out, though, as this slide is loading, that online exploitation is not human trafficking every time. I think it's important that we distinguish and separate certain crimes and things that are happening so that we can give the proper focus to it. Online exploitation, solicitation, can lead to human trafficking, but it's not every case is human trafficking. I think that's important to point out. But one reason we have to focus on this, especially for the kids here who are here today, we have to understand this. Some of the statistics up here, we can, we can confirm because I'm sure if all of us pat our pocket, we have one of those 17 billion devices in our pockets. Cell phones, computers are a part of our lives. We live in a digital world so much by necessity And I'm not going to stand here and tell you and be the kind of person who says technology is evil and we have to get rid of it. we got to be done with it. That's not the reality. That can't happen. 
And I don't think it should happen. But we need to better understand the online world so that we can safely live in it. Do you see here, the statistic here, one in three children will receive an unwelcome sexual interaction online before they're 18. I think that statistic's probably low. I think it's every kid will have an unwanted solicitation at some time in their life. Because we live here, and predators know that. Predators know we spend so much time online, and they try to take advantage of that. They try to look for vulnerabilities inside individuals, which is what we're going to move to next here. Now, many of you might recognize the name on this slide up here as Maslow, an old psychologist back in the day, and he came up with his, what he called his hierarchy of needs. Now, these are things that as humans we have to have. It doesn't say his hierarchy of wants or desires or cool things to have. It's needs. As human beings, we need all of these things. As you start at the bottom of the pyramid, they're more important. We'll seek after those things first. But once we move up, once we meet those needs, we start to move up the pyramid. Countless studies have been done showing the importance of each and every one of these things. At the bottom is the physiological needs, the need for food. All of you probably had a slice of pizza, maybe two. Later today, you're going to have dinner as well. There's nothing wrong with you for doing that. We have that need. Water, shelter, these are things that we have to have. But as we move up, we move into safety, security, belonging, friendship, Love, intimacy, self-esteem. These are things that we have to have. And again, just because one of these needs isn't met doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. But what are we all going to do if one of these needs aren't met? We're going to try to fill that need. We're going to go and look for a place to fill that need. If it's food, I'm going to cook a meal. I'm going to go to the store and buy something. If it's belonging... I'm going to make a friendship. I'm going to reach out to someone. We try to fill these needs. And when a need's not met in our life, in a trafficking situation, in this exploitation setting, we call that a vulnerability. And what traffickers do, what predators do, and what they're really good at is identifying the vulnerabilities that individuals have in their life And they aim to exploit those vulnerabilities. They'll look to take advantage of individuals and the needs that they have in their life because we're humans. Not because we've done something wrong. Not because we're messed up or we need to fix something. But just because we're humans in life. Some of those vulnerabilities that might exist are going to show here on the screen. The top one is the number one vulnerability exploited by traffickers. Poverty. Individuals who are not having their very basic needs met in life. And what traffickers will do is come into a a community, find those individuals who don't have the very basics met, and they'll offer to meet those needs. That could be food, that could be shelter, that could be water, that could be opportunity. A chance to do more in your life than maybe what your community is going to allow for you to do. And they're going to offer things to fit that need. You'll find up here individuals who are unhoused. History of sexual abuse, runaway, especially youth. Years ago, there was a study, and there was actually an article written just this week here that referenced it. 
that 45% of the youth, and I know it comes from the Covenant House, that this, they, they pulled this statistic, that receiving services, 45% of them identified have, having been trafficked, being in a trafficking situation here in Anchorage. It happens to individuals who are vulnerable, who are just trying to fill those needs that they have in life. Here will be some other vulnerabilities. Displaced persons. Age. How can age be a vulnerability? Children are more vulnerable, being taken advantage of, and, and predators, traffickers will target children for the sole fact that they're children. Elderly can be targeted as well. Individuals who come from marginalized groups, LGBTQ plus communities, individuals with substance abuse, domestic violence, they target these individuals. It's not just by chance. It's not just because. They do it in a very planned and controlled way to take advantage of the needs of these individuals. I want to talk about how we go about preventing this. And, and I know this, the state and the task force has proposed some of these aspects of it. The where we focus is prevention. How do we disrupt those cycles? Talk about predators targeting individuals' vulnerabilities. How can we break that cycle? Ultimately, it'd be great to get rid of every vulnerability, but that's not always a possibility. That always can't happen. But that'd be great. So we focus on trying to empower individuals to understand what predators are doing. Educating individuals, especially children, to the tactics that predators are doing. They're trying to make you feel like you belong, like they love you, like you have a connection so that they can take advantage. If we can empower children to understand these things, we can break those cycles of grooming. We can help them know that there's hope. A trafficker, a predator would love nothing more than their victim, that survivor, to stay silent and say nothing. They'll make you feel guilty to do it. They'll make you feel stuck and trapped. But we can break those cycles. And through programs like a, we, call, we have a program called Stop Trafficking. It's a school-based curriculum, K-12 through program that teaches kids, empowers kids with the resources. And I know this is one of the goals of the task force, is to get a program into schools here in the community. We also have a school club programs where kids can lead out in peer-to-peer settings in helping educate and empower individuals with knowledge and understanding. That's where we're going to make those differences. By targeting and understanding what trafficking looks like and then developing or adapting curriculum programs to help empower individuals to recognize and break those cycles is where we can make a big difference. We understand that prevention is key, is part of that solution. So like we said, empowering, building support networks, and helping people understand how to report. I have written down up here the National Human Trafficking Hotline. It's a hotline number that you can call and report anonymously if you want any human trafficking situation that might come up. Try to make the number really easy to memorize, 1-888-3737-888. I invite all of you to pull out your phone right now and put this number in there. If you see a trafficking situation, you might recognize it. You might go, this is off. And then you're going to panic and you're going to freeze and you're going to go, well, now what do I do? I know there's a number. Maybe you'll Google it. But it'll be so much easier if you have the number saved in your phone. I invite you to save it. You can always pick up the phone and call 911 as well and make a report there. 
and get it to them. The way the human trafficking hotline works is they'll take in the report, they'll get the information, and then they send that information out to the the needed resources in the community who's going to best respond. So often when it comes to reporting, we wonder, who am I supposed to call? And by having a number for the human trafficking hotline, it removes that from that. You don't have to know, am I calling the right service? Am I making the right phone call? Am I making the right judgment call on this? Call, and they'll get it to the people who need to support and, and can make the best, best effort in that community. As I wrap up here, I, I hope that we can recognize the need to come together as a community. This isn't, as I said in the beginning, something that any one group, individual, is going to solve. It's something that's going to take all of us collectively coming together. Reforming our thoughts, the way that we approach certain things, the way that we come about and come to solutions. We have to work together. I know many, and I've said it, it's been said that there's many from the state's human trafficking task force here today. There's many organizations in the community who are making a difference. That's how we're going to do it. One of the pieces that's so important to me is reframing our conversations around this. For example, I had the opportunity just this week, today, and yesterday to present in high schools right here in the community. We talk heavily when I present in high schools about online safety, giving examples of what it looks like, how predators are reaching out and grooming individuals. We talk about what they're doing, how they're going about it, why they're doing it. We talk about, and kids say, how they would feel. Many of them share that they'd feel guilty if this were to happen to them, if a predator were to reach out to them and start to exploit them, and they were maybe to give in. They'd feel guilty. They'd feel stuck. And I ask them, how many of you would reach out to an adult for help? Only about 10% of the hands ever go up in a room. 90% of the kids would not reach out to anyone. We ask why. Why won't you reach out? They say, number one answer is, I'll feel like, I feel like I'll be in trouble. I feel like I'll be punished. I feel like I'll be made fun of. We have to change that. We as adults and caregivers, as teachers, as community members, as coaches, whatever we are, whatever our title is, we have to make children understand that we'll listen to them, that we are a trusted adult, that we're someone that you can come to. As children, you have to understand that it's not your fault. If this ever happens to you, it's not your fault. Reach out to someone who cares. They're around you. They love you. They want to support you. That's what we need to do. We need to reframe this so that we can break these cycles, some of these things that we've talked about today. I appreciate the opportunity to come to talk to you today and to share, and we're going to move forward to our panel now. You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's program features a discussion on human trafficking in Alaska. This program was presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council and was recorded at Beartooth Theater Pub on February 8th. Due to the nature of the subject matter, listener discretion is advised.
Thank you again, Tyson, and for a, a phenomenal presentation here. Um, at this time, I would like to bring our panelists up to the stage to join Tyson for about 20 to 30 minutes of Q&A. Uh, we have Kelsey from the Education and Outreach. She's an Education and Outreach Manager at the Alaska Native Justice Center. Uh, you find your way over there? Okay. Watch your step. Jessica, Department of Justice Coordinator at Kinnick Tribe. And Randy, we'll have each of you just say who is who very quickly so everyone knows who you are. And I'm going to go back down here for Q&A. Uh, feel free to pick up your mic and to turn it on and just say who you are really quick. I'll get down by Q&A. I guess I'm starting with the initial one-name introduction like I'm Cher. Um, my name is Randy Brager. I am with Covenant House Alaska. Hi, my name is Jessica Svetkovich, and I am Department of Justice Coordinator for Connect Tribe. Hi, my name is Kelsey Potovan. I'm an Education and Outreach Faci- Manager at Alaska Native Justice Center. I am Koyakon Athabaskan. My mom's family is from Tanana, Alaska. Uh, I was raised in Juneau, and I've lived here and worked here in Anchorage since 2014. We know who you are. (laughs) And we know who Tyson is. Thank you all very much for joining us today. The effort today was so that we could connect all of you to the community that we have here right in front of us and the resources that we have. We have tremendous resources in town. The format of the next 30 minutes is going to be as follows. Uh, If you have a question, we ask that you line up here and in the next aisle, but only five at a time because we have a lot of people here. So we ask that you use your best judgment so that the line doesn't get too long. Too long. Um, if you have a question but don't want to use the mic, uh, you can pass that on to one of our staff, and we can try to ask that question for you. Uh, we will not have each panelist answer the same question, but rather do our best to take turns answering as many questions as we can. So we've talked to the panelists, and they're going to do their best to communicate with each other and uh, field the questions that come to them. Um, So the first question that we're going to start with, and if you have a question, feel free to line up here and we can go from there, is what does human trafficking look like around us here in Alaska? Who would like to start that? Well, one, it looks very different from community to community, but I think a lot of the um, trends were really described really well earlier in the presentation. Just like the rest of the United States, much of the trafficking victims that we interface with are first exploited by people that they trusted and were close to them, whether it was um, a family member or a close friend. We often, especially with the age group we serve um, at Covenant House, which is ages 13 through 24, often have um, victims that were first drawn in as from their boyfriends or their girlfriends or people presenting as someone who loved them in that intimate partner way. The other big thing that we have started really talking about with young people is uh, this idea of survival sex, which has really been on the rise considering the costs in our state um, and has really moved many of our young people into a place of vulnerability to trafficking because they start uh, 
in this situation where they are trying to find food, find shelter, and they are exchanging the, the commodity that they have available to them, which is their bodies. I just wanted to add, um, because we talk about the diversity across our communities, a lot of times there is a huge nexus between human trafficking and missing and murdered indigenous people. A lot of our missing are missing because they've come out of the villages into our bigger cities and hubs and they're being trafficked. I'm just, I know we're not all supposed to answer all the questions, but just this is the big, broad question of what does this look like in our state? And I'll share a little bit about what Alaska Native Justice Center does. And we approach this in, in two ways, um, like Tyson explained. On, on one part, we, two of our case managers are here, Eleanor and Fabian, and they work with survivors of different types of crime. It could be domestic violence, sexual assault, um, elder fraud, stalking, dating violence, um, and really our team might work with someone for months, for years, someone who has come to our agency to get help get their needs met, like Tyson explained. Like maybe they just need somewhere safe to go. They need help escaping their abuser. And then after working and walking with them for a period of time, they might say something or reveal something else about what they're experiencing, and our team will recognize that like there's something else going on here. Um, so it can be hard to define, I mean, it can be hard to identify, even though it might be right in front of you, but it's really important to walk with survivors and to build that trust. The other thing we do is we have a municipal Anchorage-based task force where there's a whole bunch of service providers in the room um, that are a part of the task force um, and law enforcement as well, and we come together to figure out how we can get someone the services that they need because oftentimes we are at capacity. And so just getting people safe, also you know, honoring their wishes if they want to seek prosecution, that they can do that so that they can find justice. Um, and one more thing that we do see in the state is um, you know, just to mention labor trafficking. A lot of times um, what has been explained to me that happens is that people will come to Anchorage with the promise of a job. Uh, maybe their employer flies them up, pays their moving expenses, and then that gets held against them. Or, you know, the job turns out to not be what they envisioned it to be. Um, and so, you know, withholding paychecks or, you know, if it's within the family, it might be saying, like, you need to keep doing this and also these other tasks and chores and jobs in the family business um, or in the family home, and it goes far beyond what this person originally bargained for, and it is a really vulnerable position to be in. A lot of people don't recognize what's happening at first. Thank you. Next question. Um, how do you help somebody like a peer that you suspect is being hurt or trafficked? Tyson, you want to try that one? Um, that's a great question. And uh, I, th I think number one is if it's someone that you know, it, it starts well before that in building that relationship and letting them know that you're, you're a safe person, that you're someone that they can trust. And if it's a disclosure, if they share with you this is happening or something, believing them and listening to them. 
it might seem simple, but the fact of saying something simple like a statement of, I believe you, can go so far with a survivor because so often that's not the case. They're not believed. They're not heard. So just listening and believing and being there in that moment it can go further than almost anything else you can do is believing. Now, I would, I would not hold on to that after that. So often, that's kind of where we go, especially as a friend, is to then hold on to it and create it as our burden to hold. So seek help from someone else. If that's someone at your school, if that's a counselor, if that's a a trusted teacher, your parent, law enforcement, get someone else involved. Don't keep that for you to to hold on to and to bear. and as as we can move that direction, then they can get the support that they need further on. Uh, in general, when it comes to reporting, if you suspect it, report something. That's a hard hurdle to overcome. But so often we think, well, what if I'm wrong? Or what if this isn't? What if I ruin a life? What if? We can play that game forever. If you suspect something, pass it on. If you If you legitimately believe it, pass it on and let that person make that decision. If it's law enforcement, they can do the process of investigation. Don't hold on to it yourself and decide if it's, if it's right or wrong. Always make that report. Thank you. <laughs> do you have any common websites that um, predators use? I think, unfortunately, as we list websites, more pop up every day. But we actually have um, some folks in the audience that have a lot more expertise on websites that they know are frequent targeting and some basic tips to keep people safe. So I'm going to be calling out Amanda. Hi, everybody. My name is Amanda Fisher. I'm a lieutenant for the Anchorage Police Department. Um, I'm in charge of our Special Victims Unit, our Crimes Against Children Unit, and our Cyber Crimes Unit, um, which oversees our connection to human trafficking. I'm also on the governor's um, task force. Um, When you talk about websites, specifically websites, I'm not going to tell you specific websites. I am going to tell you social media. They're using Instagram. They're using Snapchat. They're using Facebook. They're using all the things that we're all using because that's what we're all using. So that's how they are immediately trying to connect with people, and that's how they try to make those instant connections with people and pose as if they are someone in your age group or they are someone to befriend you. Um, it's a very, very common thing that they're doing on a daily basis. Thank you. I'll, I'll, add, I'll add to that um, that it's the places that kids are is where they're going to be. So it changes over time, and I, I think that's important. So you have, if you know, right now lots of kids use TikTok, and that's where the predators are going to go is to the places in which uh, kids are if they're targeting children. I think another thing that's important to point out that could be one of those red flags is generally they'll meet on one of those mass sites. It, it's, it's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's a popular video game. And then what they'll do is they'll move to a more private setting. And I think that can be one of the red flags is this person's contacted me and now they're trying to move me to WhatsApp or they're trying to move me to Snapchat. It's something that they can isolate and move away from the chance of someone else seeing inside of those larger, more used kind of public places and try to move for isolation. So I think that can be a red flag in the digital world. 
Thank you. Next question. Um, why do so many cases go unreported? I think that there's a lot of fear and shame involved with trafficking. Oftentimes, um, you know, someone is vulnerable. Um, maybe they have a criminal history. Maybe whatever they got involved with, it's something that's going to get them in trouble. Um, and so they're afraid that that's going to be held against them. So that's one of the ways that traffickers use coercion um, to manipulate people. So I know that a lot of folks are afraid to speak up or to say anything because they're afraid that something else will come out against them, um, if it's previous criminal behavior, if it's something else that's embarrassing. Um, say if someone has sent pictures that they don't want people to see um, and that could get out and that's being held against them or if the trafficker says, we're going to show this to the world if you act in a certain way, so you need to do what I say. So that's, you know, there's the coercion aspect of things. Um, and then there's also, um, you know, the, the trafficker's mindset and the way they behave. Um, some And so sometimes people who are being trafficked, they might think that they are in a loving, caring relationship. Um, maybe they didn't experience healthy relationships as they were growing up. All they saw was family dysfunction um, in, in their own homes, and so they don't know what that looks like. They don't understand that it's not normal for someone who loves you to ask you to do something in exchange for something else, you know, if it's shelter or love or um, food or anything like that. So it's sometimes people aren't completely aware, even though they know something might be wrong. Thank you. Next question. Um, so I know, like, with, like, human trafficking and stuff, people, like, they'll, like, buy you a car or you could, like, you become kind of dependent on that person for, like, important needs like shelter and stuff like that. Um, or, you know, say if you leave, you feel like you're going to be, you know, threatened by this person or they're going to come after you. What advice would you give to, like, a person who's going through that? I think to keep it very simple, I would say you don't have to go through it alone. Um, just in this short presentation, we have a wide snapshot of many supportive adults that are in this community that can help support people that are experiencing that, whether they are a child, whether they are an adult. And so that would be the biggest thing is, as I would say, when you get comfortable, don't, don't do it alone. There are many people that will help you navigate through that process and get you the help and support that you need. Thank you. Next question. You briefly talked about migrant smuggling. What's the difference between that and human trafficking? She said migrant smuggling versus human trafficking. That's a, that's a great question. So uh, human smuggling generally is when an individual is trying to get, it, we'll use the United States as the example, get into the United States. And so they'll find someone who can help get them here into the United States. And so they'll pay them and they'll be knowingly getting a, moving across the border here into the United States. Now, once they get here, 
It can change, and it could turn into human trafficking after that point. But human smuggling involves that movement of individuals, primarily from outside of a country into a country. But there's not the the forced labor, there's not the commercial sex that's happening in that, and that's human smuggling. Now, once they get into that country or here in the United States, it could turn into a human trafficking situation. What are some specific examples of how you could find yourself in a trafficking situation? I would say the most common and relevant for most people here in the audience and in the United States is going to come from an online interaction is primarily where it's probably going to start. Is an individual who befriends you online. Someone who you meet playing a video game like Fortnite or Minecraft, and they start to talk to you. And one day it starts with, hey, how are you? Or, man, I saw you were on here yesterday. So cool. And it starts as simple as that. It could be a direct message on social media of, man, you're cute. Or, hey, how are you? It's never, hey, I'm here to exploit you. It's going to be something kind and friendly. And then they're slowly going to build a relationship They're going to become your friend. They're going to be there the next day when you get on to play your video game or when you check your social media. They're going to be there the day after. And slowly they get to know you. They get to become that friend in that space. And then over time they're going to take advantage. And it might be something small. They might learn that your parents would be so mad at you if they knew you were talking to someone you didn't know online. That might be enough in the beginning that they can use that against you. And they might threaten you and say, well, unless you do this, and it might be something small, I'm going to tell your parents. Unless you do this, I'm going to expose that. And it starts so small. That's probably the place that most, uh, that, that's most common for this to happen, for the, the group here in our room being here in the United States for, for this to happen. Now, another common one here in, in Alaska as well, and it's been touched on, is other vulnerabilities of individuals. And if someone else wants to share, you know, native individuals leaving from a village and, and coming again, looking for an opportunity, trying to get out of a situation and coming to a, a urban area and not having the support is another very common that's relevant to this area as well. I don't know if someone wants to share more. Yeah, I can touch on that a little bit more. Um, One of the statistics shared across the state, I believe, came from Priceless Love Alaska, that uh, when we have individuals fly into our bigger cities from our villages and more rural areas, it only takes 72 hours Um, And in that time, they've already been approached by a trafficker. And typically it's because they have something to offer that's missing, a place to stay, a job. Uh, Normally, when our individuals are coming to our bigger cities, it's for the hope of a better life, right? Or removing themselves from trauma that's happening in their village or home, whichever environment it is. And they fly in, they meet someone that appears to be amazing, they offer everything on a silver platter, and now they're in debt to them. And then they get comfortable, um, like we've had some of our audience talk about, where I, I feel safe, I feel loved, I've never felt this before. Um, Tyson used to teach on one candy bar. A girl stayed in a trafficking situation because her trafficker gave her a candy bar. It, When we talk about simple things, it really can be that simple, that validation that they've never received before. And I just want to add one little thing to that. Um, 
So, uh, you know, Alaska Natives were around 20% of the population here in the state, and we have really strong communities, and we can really rely on our cultures as a source of strength, and we can spread that among our peers. And so, you know, a lot of this stuff can seem really scary, but you all are learning about it now. You are involved, and I just really encourage everyone to stay involved with your families stay involved with your communities, um, and use culture as a source of strength. Um, you know, get involved with programs. Um, and also, if you have family moving to Anchorage, coming into Anchorage from rural Alaska, you know, oftentimes family relationships can be complicated, but just support them. Um, I know a lot of my family comes here for medical, and we always just make sure that they, you know, have a nice place to stay, have um, meals, and that they're just not um, on their own when they come here, especially if they're coming from a small village, just so they aren't in a vulnerable situation. So just support one another is really the message. Thank you. Do the traffickers have vulnerabilities? Do the traffickers have vulnerabilities? You know, that's a, a study that I've been wanting to do for years, is where is that intersectionality of the trafficker and, and the survivor? Because very often traffickers will come from very similar situations and socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, and for them, this is the source of survival that they've found or that they've been, been put into. Um, globally, we have seen individuals who were trafficked and now are on the, the trafficking side, a survivor who's now you know, supporting, and many times is a way to make their life easier. Now it's easier to be on the trafficking side versus being trafficked. Um, and so it, it, I would say yes, that the traffickers have many vulnerabilities come from similar backgrounds as individuals who are being trafficked. Uh, is this a really big issue only in North America and the U.S., or is it still big other places and continents and countries? This is a global issue. It's, it's not just here. Um, it is global, and sometimes we have a hard time doing the reverse of what you did and saying it's a problem here, too. Um, and it's important to understand that this does happen and there's a, a global impact. And especially a place like Alaska, where you have a lot of immigrant and people moving to, there is that impact that you, you'll see maybe more than in other states. I'm from Utah, and uh, we don't have that same immigration that is here in Alaska of individuals coming. But it is a global problem. The ILO puts out a yearly estimate of the number of people caught in human trafficking, and the, the number last year was nearly 50 million people caught in human trafficking at any given moment. So that means this very moment, 50 million people. Now, they do include a few other types of human trafficking than we talk about here in the United States. For example, forced marriage is on their list. So if you talk about sex and labor trafficking, that number is 27 million people who are caught in human trafficking somewhere around the world. So it is a, a global problem, and there are connections globally as well. And for those of you that don't know, the acronym ILO is the International Labor Organization. I think we have room for one more, at least one, maybe two more questions before we close. 
Okay, so my question is that you mentioned that human trafficking happens a lot, and it starts mostly, not really mostly, but a lot of it starts with social media. Why do you think social media companies don't regulate this more? Like, if it's, like, such a big problem and social media is such a big problem, uh, part of it, why do you think the companies don't want, like, regulate this more and just, like, stop it more than what is happening right now? We were just saying, you should run for office. That's the question. Why don't they? And uh, sadly, the answer generally comes back to money. It, it, there's, there's money in not doing anything. And sadly, we have laws in place in the country that protect social media, internet provi- in, uh, websites from not doing anything. Um, hopefully those can change. There's a number of legislations that have been proposed over the years. Sadly, none of them have passed to hold social media websites more accountable. But you do see it. You do see it. I don't want to be doom and gloom. For example, um, I always say it wrong, so you can laugh at me, kids. I'm fine with this. But I'm pretty sure it's Omegle. Omeg? How do you say it? Omegle. See, I'm fine being corrected. Omegle, they shut down. They chose to shut down this this last year because they realized that it was a place where individuals' children were being exploited. So it does happen. But sadly, there's no accountability from a law standpoint. They, They are free to not do anything about it. And that has to change. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. Okay. Um, what would you say the earliest? What What are the earliest signs you can see in a person or a relationship that suggest a posed risk towards you of being trafficked? Well, I think that there are you know certain things that as direct service providers we've been trained to look for. Um, red flags: people drawing away from their families, um, becoming less communicative. Um, constantly getting new mobile devices um, or, you know, having some sort of disorientation, maybe substance abuse. Um, You know, if you're talking to youth or really anyone, just um, not really knowing what they're allowed to say um, or always being in the presence of someone else. Um, We see that sometimes. But a lot of the people that do this work, a lot of the experts are almost trying to try to look at this in different ways um, and to make sure that we are being culturally appropriate or inclusive because sometimes certain behaviors that you might see in a certain population don't translate to your standard um, Western American population. Um, So it's there's... There's different ways that we look at this, but it's also changing. Randy, do you have anything to add to that? Or to our team down here? Um, the only thing I would add is, in just taking the question maybe from a slightly different angle, is what are the warning signs that you as an individual could look for in somebody that you're interacting with to reduce your risk? Um, So having spent a number of years um, working in domestic violence and sexual assault, we see a lot of similarities across many of the different issues where people become victims of crime. And really, a, a lot of the red flags are very similar. The one that really pops out in my mind is 
the controlling behavior and nature of the person that you're engaging in, whether it's a relationship, a friendship, um, conversations, if they are trying to exert that that power and control over you um, and dictating what you are able to do, who you're able to talk to, um, under what circumstances, whether they're present or not present, um, things that are making you feel uncomfortable and feeling like you're losing some of your own power to make decisions should be a red flag to you, whether it's potentially a trafficking situation or a number of other unhealthy interactions and relationships. Thank you. We have time for one more question, and then we'll close the program to be respectful of everybody's time. What would make someone want to become a predator and do that to somebody else? I think that's a lot of the control and validation piece on the flip side, right? Like a a trafficker feels empowered when they are able to control and manipulate others. Um, On top of that, obviously Tyson touched on the money component. Um, So I think for traffickers, it's really that control. How many can they control? How much control can they have? Okay, very good. Uh, Can we have a round of applause for our panelists today? (laughs) Alaska World Affairs would like to thank all of our panelists and Tyson Wright for flying up here. So this was a very profound program. As Tyson said, it's a difficult one, but it's a necessary one. So I hope that you all take a little bit of what you heard here today and can apply it to your life, whether it's helping somebody or informing somebody of what we talked about today. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you again for coming today. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. We just heard a discussion on human trafficking in Alaska and what is being done to combat the issue. This program was presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council and was recorded at Beartooth Theater Pub on February 8th. Find us on the web at alaskapublic.org, the Alaska Public Media app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ammon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.